Hi, my name is Christine Kay. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. This is the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Today is June 14th, and I have Christine Kay from Fairfax, Virginia, in the studio with me today. She's going to be reading on today's Daily Reflection, sharing her experience, strength, and hope around the reflection for today, which is titled, When the Going Gets Rough. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you. We usually start the episode with the guest reading the Daily Reflection. Do you have that with you? I have it. Can we go ahead and read it? Absolutely. All right. So when the going gets rough, it is a design for living that works in rough going. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 15. When I came to AA, I realized that AA worked wonderfully to help keep me sober, but could it work in real life problems, not concerned with drinking? I had my doubts. After being sober for more than two years, I got my answer. I lost my job, developed physical problems. My diabetic father lost a leg and someone I loved left me for another. And all this happened during a two-week period. Reality crashed in, yet AA was there to support, comfort, and strengthen me. The principles I had learned during my early days of sobriety became a mainstay of my life for not only did I come through, but I never stopped being able to help newcomers. AA taught me not to be overwhelmed, but rather to accept and understand my life as it unfolded. I really love that reading. Before we start talking about it, what is your sobriety date, Christine? My sobriety date is December 19th, 2010. Awesome. Glad to have you here. That's a lot of sobriety to talk about. And probably a lot of life has unfolded for you in the process of your recovery. Life has definitely unfolded during that time, but it's, it's good. And, you know, got to appreciate the good and the bad. So what is it that brought you into the rooms? Tell us a little bit about what it was like before you got sober. Before I got sober, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My mom uh, was a a drinker. And, you know, I say that because that's a part of a lot of people's story. I don't think that's what necessarily made me an alcoholic. So I, you know, was definitely around it frequently. I became aware of it somewhere around eight, nine or 10 and, you know, had my first drink probably you know, eighth grade or somewhere around there. And I, I knew I liked alcohol more than my friends did for the mo- more than most of my friends did throughout high school. And then just like a lot of people share, it was really, really fun. And then, you know, there were fun with problems after high school. I had some clubbing days that were fun, but kind of sometimes not so fun. And then later it, it alcohol turned on me. And like some people say, it became the rapacious creditor and it, it, it wasn't fun at all. You know, I, I was in and out of treatment centers and had a couple series of, you know, getting in trouble legally. And at the end, what got me sober was not 
some big crisis. It wasn't like a bunch of legal trouble or really anything other than, you know, I had tried everything I thought of. And the last year it was just trying to control and enjoy my drinking. You know, really it was like every three days I, I would swear up alcohol. And then every three days I would start to feel better. And then I would change my mind, quote unquote, change my mind. I would think I'd overreacted or I won't drink this kind of liquor or this kind of drink or combine it with this pill or whatever. And so, like I said, at the end, it was really just feeling completely emotionally bankrupt and um, just feeling very old. And I was 25 when I got sober and I wasn't able to really do any of the things, follow through with anything that I had wanted to do in terms of school or or relationships or really anything. And so I, I made it back to, you know, a 12 step program. I made it back to AA and, you know, I had been in and out for a couple of years by that point. And like I said, 25 and really had nothing going for myself. You know, I, I'd been in AA rooms and cried and sobbed and this day, I don't know if it was different or not, but, you know, I just felt totally dead. And I said, I can't quit drinking. And I know I'm, I know I'm screwed. And so women surrounded me, gave me their phone numbers, gave me, you know, a 12 and 12. And then someone came up to me after the meeting and she said, honey, you don't look done. And it scared the shit out of me. And I knew she was right. You know, I knew I I could make a choice and just give it everything I had and, and just throw myself into the program. And I turned to another woman, not that woman, and started calling her. And she became my sponsor because the other, the other woman scared me. So, (laughs) so that's kind of uh, just the very, very quick uh, highlights of how I ended up in recovery at 25. Thanks for sharing that. I'm curious about hitting bottom. Had you ever hit bottom before? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question because I, I had felt like I had hit bottom before, you know, in my first treatment center, I could have sworn like I really wanted to be done with alcohol and and launch my life and you know do what my friends were doing, which was finishing school and finding like partnerships and just enjoying life. And I had not enjoyed life or really laughed in a while. So it was interesting. I had heard your bottom is at any point where you you stop digging. I'm not sure why, you know, that point was different, but like I said, you know, I, I was scared and I was willing to go to any lengths to get it. And before I still had like some reservations and some ideas like, well, maybe, you know, if I didn't do drugs also, and (laughs) maybe if, if I get the car back and get back in school, feel better and things will be manageable and got away from AA and then ended up drinking not too, too long thereafter. So I do believe that that's true. Like I can stop at any point that I decide to really throw myself into recovery. Mm -hmm. It's funny because you said earlier that you just changed your mind. Like you would, you would swear off drinking and then you'd feel better for a few days. And then you would just, and you have, you can't, the listeners can't see this, but you had air quotes around. I changed my mind and I can so relate to that because So many times I thought I made a conscious decision to drink again, not because I was a victim of alcoholism, but because, oh, I'm fine. I just made a conscious decision. And I think that's the insanity of it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I've definitely come to understand 
yeah, that the insanity is that no matter what, like I will return to drinking. I will, if I don't have a program of recovery, I'll return to something that makes me something artificial outside of myself that, that makes me feel better. And, you know, eventually drugs and alcohol. I mean, every morning I would sort it off for a couple of years. And then by like four or five o'clock, I'd say, man, I really need that. Or, you know, I'd, I'd be on my way home from, from, you know, whatever job or shift and pull out of the grocery store and be like, how did this happen again? Just thankfully, like, you know, we all share, I think a lot of us share that sentiment. Um, Yeah. It's the disease that tells us we're overreacting. Like literally the disease is our brain telling us it's okay to take another drink. And it's not only okay, but it's a good idea because we were probably just a little bit dramatic three days ago or Mm -hmm. four hours ago or whatever. Let's talk about the solution to that problem. (laughs) (laughs) If the problem centers in our brain, then our brain's probably not the thing to get us out of it. So you come into the rooms of AA, the one lady was scary. So you got the other one and, and how did that look? So what did early recovery and and step work look like? So early recovery looked like, you know, getting to lots of meetings. I, I was lucky in that, you know, that woman that I connected with, you know, she was connected to a group that celebrated all the anniversaries and had, you know, meetings before the meetings. And like, she was connected with a group that were, you know, doing the the diners after the meetings. And, you know, she was a mom uh, and had two little babies. And so she wasn't able to be at all those things, but she was, you know, early on, she, she just connected with me with like, you know, the people in the network and it was just beautiful. Guys, I got sober December 19th, which is right before the holidays. And I celebrate Christmas. And so was right before a lot of drinking holidays. And she connected me with people who, you know, were willing to reach out and say, Hey, I'm going to be here at this celebration dinner. And then we can go to a meeting. And I remember December 24th. So Christmas Eve, you know, my phone had like a bunch of missed calls and a bunch of text messages. And, you know, like I really hadn't had anyone calling me um, and like seeing how I was doing in like a long time. And it just really touched me. You know, I got, I got hooked and I was willing to jump in and, you know, start doing service. I got tricked into my first service position, which was baking cakes every other week. And then I held on to that for two years. And by the time that was over, I knew no one could bake cakes, you know, for that meeting as good as, <laughs> as good as I could. <laughs> I would bring like carrots also. And so people appreciated the balance anyway. um, Yeah. Early sobriety, you know, lots of meetings, you know, getting with people who were also excited about sobriety and doing step work and talking about working with their sponsors. You know, I didn't think I could stay sober. I thought I was crazy or, you know, something more was wrong with me than just being an alcoholic. So my plan was to jump in and be surrounded by people for as long as I could until I burned my life to the ground again. You know, what happened was I was, I was able to uh, stick with those people and take the actions and, and stay and have a new life. Yeah. <laughs> did you yeah. get into step work right away? I did get into step work right away. You know, I did one, two and three pretty quickly. My, my sponsor actually had me wait a little bit for step four, which isn't what everyone does. And, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm grateful that that's what she did. She really wanted me to kind of 
have a little bit of time to practice the third step and kind of, I guess, wake up and like thaw out a little bit because some of us just need a little bit of time to be able to kind of remember some of those things. So what happened was I, I got really resentful about five, six months in and I was, I was willing to put everything down. So we worked together and a lot of our step work looked like sitting in her minivan <laughs> on the way to meetings and, you know, after meetings. And so, uh, cause you know, like I said, she was a mom and she was willing to do whatever like she could to help me. Yeah. Definitely willing to move forward with the steps early on. I really feel like the sponsorship relationship is, is a spiritual thing. And it's just funny how we get like exactly who we need, you know, most of the time, I think Absolutely. we get the exact right sponsor for us. Can you talk a little bit about the higher power thing for you? Did you feel like you had a higher power before you got into AA? Did you find one in AA? Do you feel like you have a connection to one now? I definitely feel like I have a connection to one now. And, you know, I, I grew up going to church. And so I was one of those people that had to kind of, like, I've slowly had to chip away at some of, you know, those old beliefs, like maybe some of the shaming beliefs, who knows how real they were or not. Right. Like it, but what I took away from them. So I really have, I've had to process all those with sponsors and uh, mentors and, you know, sometimes with outside help and professionals helping develop that connection with something that makes me feel like, you know, I'm safe, I'm connected. And I, I really connected early on with someone saying, I have to f- find a higher power that did for me what alcohol did for me at one point, which made me feel like safe and calm and relaxed. You know, I do feel like I have that today. It's not not consistent, right? Like, (laughs) like we said, life happens. And like the reading we, we heard, you know, things definitely come up. So there have been times where, you know, I felt like I, I really didn't know what I believed in. I think last all last year, I felt like I didn't know what I believed in. I guess sometime in February, there were some things that happened where I, I really had to throw myself back into fellowship And it was kind of tricky because we're still in a virtual environment. You know, I had spent a lot of time by myself, which isn't good for me. (laughs) There was a meeting that was at 10 o'clock every night and people would hang out afterwards and I would do that. And then people started asking me to lead meetings and I was leading meetings and like a month, four, six weeks later, I, I was feeling a lot better. You know, I was feeling safe and connected again. And you know, actually like just feeling really excited about, you know, being sober and life again. So it's really cool that, you know, we can kind of go through those cycles and stay in the middle and stay connected. And it does pass, you know, like these things pass. And I didn't feel like this one would pass. At the end of 2019, you know, my grandma passed and I was really close with her and it hit me really hard. And so I was, you know, in a lot of grief. And then had some precancerous cells I decided to, you know, just take care of. And the surgeon cut into the wrong side of my body. And it was, you know, I was really traumatized. I was really not, I did not feel safe. I did not feel like a higher power was looking out for me. And so that happened in January. So by the end of February, I was feeling better. And then we had 
uh, a week or two before the pandemic hit. And then I was back in, you know, my house by myself, just kind of like in my head thinking about these things. And it was, it was pretty intense. And like all last year, I didn't really feel connected to anything. And I wasn't sure if I would ever feel connected again. I, I moved, some people could probably call it a geographic. I moved to be near (laughs) my dad and stepmom in Wilmington, North Carolina. That didn't really help anything, really didn't help anything, but it was good to be near them and spend more time with them because, uh, you know, he has dementia. And so there's this situation where I felt like I was trying to, you know, make things better and had good intentions, but, you know, it just didn't, it didn't fix the internal environment. It didn't fix what was going on in me, but a lot of good has still come out of that situation. I just want to thank you for sharing. I just want to say that I'm sorry for your loss of your grandma and for that traumatic experience. I mean, of the surgeon getting it wrong. I mean, that's, that's hard to move through. And yet you did because you have the tools to do it. And, you know, that's what the reading is about. It says, you know, the writer says, I, I didn't think it could work on life's problems. But after being sober for a couple of years, this person in particular had a lot of stuff go on. And you, if I do my math right, you have about 11 years of sobriety. Yeah, nine, 10 and a half. Yeah, 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. So eight or nine years in, you have all this all this stuff happen. And I, I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, just because we get sober doesn't mean life becomes a cakewalk all the time. And we're floating in the lotus position, super joyful and happy all the time. But what I heard you say was that you have tools and the tools that you shared were going to meetings, connecting with people. Is there anything else that you do to get yourself in a better place when, when times do get a little dark? So I, I do, I've been doing guided meditations for, I don't know, seven or eight years and, you know, they're not real long, but usually between five and I don't know, 20 minutes. And so that's been a consistent practice, even through, you know, even through the time where I didn't feel connected to anything, uh, it did, you know, help ground me and make me feel safe, but, you know, not necessarily uh, more connected to my higher power. So that's something that's really important you know, I, I still pray. And like I said, stay connected with friends, a sponsor. That's awesome. And do you do service? Because I met you um, as you were leading (laughs) a meeting doing service. And of course, immediately was so impressed with your story and your message that I wanted you to come share with everybody here. So uh, you're doing all those things. And I, 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 for one was helped. So let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about, you know, how has life improved for you? You know, how have the promises come true for you since, since you got sober? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, uh, so I just got back from like two weeks with my mom and like I said, she was, um, an active alcoholic for a long time and, you know, she, she had some stuff happen and, you know, had her moment with God and, and she doesn't drink anymore. She doesn't work a 12 step program or anything like that. But, you know, we've been able to establish a really like beautiful relationship. It hasn't been a part of my life for a long time. And, you know, in the past couple of years, I've gotten to spend more time with her and she lives in Florida and I just spent two weeks with her and she had, you know, she had hip replacement surgery two months, two, three months ago. 
and some family dynamics and like all her stuff was in boxes. And so like, I was able to be there and work remotely. You know, I have a great job that I'm able to work remotely and just be there with her and help, you know, unpack her place. And I left on Saturday or Sunday and she was just like, thank you so much. This, this has been such a great trip. So the relationships with my family have been like one of, one of my favorite things about being sober because that that certainly wouldn't be the case if I wasn't sober and didn't have a program of recovery yeah and so like other promises you know I've been able to finish school I was not I was not one of the alcoholics that could finish school in their drinking so I finished undergraduate I finished a graduate degree and you know I've I have a full-time job and they've they really value me. You know, I, I was accepted to a PhD program. I'll start that in August, but I, you know, like those are all like fun. Like those are amazing external things, but like the, I think the most important thing is like, I really enjoy life today. Having fun is probably one of the most important things. I didn't know how to have fun before. And I thought my life would be boring. I get to spend time with people that I love and enjoy and that, you know, are good to me and, um, you know, care about me a lot. And so, you know, I had a really empty life before and that's, that's not the case today. I think those are, are more than enough. I mean, you know, to, to live life with, with fake joy or fake happiness, you know, and emptiness really. And then mm-hmm. to move to a place of authenticity and, and true joy. And I like to call it quiet joy. It's not, woo, you know, it's more yeah. like, I just feel joy. Yeah. Um, what a gift that is. I mean, sometimes it's the exciting joy. Like, you know, I was at one of the watch watch parties for the World Series for the Nationals a year and a half ago. And so that was, you know, that was fun. That but was anyway, but for the most part, it is the quiet joy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that was pretty exciting as a Nats fan myself. It was, it was good. Your story is so inspirational. And, you know, I know that, that we're talking a little bit about some external stuff, but I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, you can have all the things that you want, like it's okay to have external wins and, and achievements mm-hmm. and that in sobriety, we can have whatever we want, whatever we set our mind to, you know, whatever the mind can conceive, we can achieve. And that's, but only if we stay sober. I was just going to say, it's just really about letting my higher power open the right, right doors and just being willing to like take some leaps of faith. Like, yes, you know, like it's okay to take a chance on this and yes, I'm terrified of failing, but you know, I, I know I have the right support system and the right tools and whatever happens, I'll be okay. I love that. So before we close, is there any advice you would have for a newcomer or somebody maybe thinking about uh, coming into the program, maybe not sure that they belong here? Yeah, absolutely. Like whatever, anyone can absolutely stay sober, like through any circumstance. You know, I remember hearing early on people sharing about dealing with cancer or dealing with a parent dying. And like, I really latched onto those things and realized like this was something, you know, I could, you know, I could go through things and stay sober. But like I said, it's really important to get latched in with a group of people who are 
having fun and enjoying sobriety. And I remember being newly sober and like I said, out, out at diners and just laughing and realizing that I felt like I hadn't laughed in years. And so that's kind of really what sold me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if, if you're new and you're not sure, just keep searching for people who are enjoying life and being sober and, you know, working the steps, you know, just jump in. I love that advice. Well, Christine, I just want to thank you so much for saying yes. When I uh, jumped on you in the chat during a meeting, (laughs) I love your message and I just adore you. I think you're a beautiful soul and I'm so glad that you came to share with us today. Thank you. It was really good to be here. And I'll just do a quick plug for the daily reflection podcast. Like I said, I was in Florida visiting my mom recently and I was a little bit nervous about you know, travel and spending time down there. And I just listened to your podcast, the whole, like the whole flight there. And I just felt like peaceful when I got there and was able to just be like, okay, I have, it just reminded me of all the tools I have. And so, you know, thank you guys so much for doing this. It's really helped me a lot. So yeah. That's so wonderful to hear. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day. This podcast produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Audio editing services by Jeff Bain. 